Zachariah sat on a woven hemp mat, cross-legged. He was inside a large underground chamber, dominated by a bronze-colored circular portal, built into the wall directly across from him. The ominous door lay open, like the gaping maw of the abyss. Its center was inky black. How many times has it been? Zachariah asked, whatever was on the other side. A voice reported back two minutes later. I cannot know that information yet. It would jeopardize this branch. Just know, it will not be the last occurrence. Zachariah stood up and walked closer to the portal. There has to be a reason. A reason beyond just testing some asinine theory. How much reactor fuel does it even have left? Zachariah inquired. Another moment of silence. Then... There is enough for one more message. I'm already compiling the material we need. She is helping, obviously. This isn't about testing anymore. If we fail to get it right on this branch, there will not be a chance for other iterations later on. The door at the top of a nearby staircase sounded off as someone knocked on the other side. Marcus has shown great promise. I believe he will be our best shot. Even his grandfather has been useful in his own right as of late. There have already been significant course deviations, just not the one we need. More banging on the upstairs door. When I come back, you'd better be more forthright with me. I'm tired of the puzzles, Zachariah said. He reached out and touched the portal siding. The darkness receded and left a blank stone wall between the circular bronze-colored structure. Zachariah opened the hatch to the outside and greeted the man that had been knocking. Forge was at least as old as Zachariah, but appeared to be in his mid-forties. His long, dark braided beard swayed in the turbulent wind, flowing between the island's megatowers. Above, the faint blue shimmer of the firmament energy shield caused a wild spectrum of colors to cascade down across the vertical housing tower, and multicolored lights danced on the park's walkway across from Zachariah's vault. Forge handed Zack a digital recorder. What's this? Zachariah asked. A message from Harold. It must have been very bad. He put it out of the public S-band, Forge said. Zachariah pressed the play button and listened to Harold's last transmission. His resting scowl deepened with every minute. He motioned to Forge and the two of them began to walk the winding path down by the island center and through Hope Plaza. There, there were numerous religious temples, built in a circle around an equally impressive water fountain. The recording had finished by the time Harold and Forge had passed through Hope Plaza and were entering the Watcher compound at the northwestern edge of the island. A squad of trainees ran past them in formation. The instructor was a large Haitian man with intricate tattoos on his arms. Forge waved at him as they passed. Zachariah gave a nod. Everyone has sowed peace lately. Makes me worry about... What has been brewing outside all the more? To think 
there could be spies in our midst. Near-perfect copies of those we know and trust, said Forge. Zack handed the digital recorder to Forge. They were standing at the Flagstone Memorial. It was the site where the first states that declared independence from the old America were displayed. Vermont, Massachusetts, Michigan, Hawaii, Oregon, Texas, and Virginia. The vanguard of Moss, the militia of sovereign states. I... I could not keep this from his mother. I hope you understand. She is not a woman I plan to get on the wrong side of, Forge said. Zack put his hand on the memorial stone, ran it across the reflective surface. That's expected, Zachariah said. What do you intend to do? Satellite 12, Indigo Hotel. Connection established. Illegal subnet detected. Transmission capture. Audio only. Compiling. RL lag time negative 47.91.280.005. Adjusting for time dilation. Beginning playback. Hello out there, whoever you are, wherever you happen to be. My name is Everett Kaplan. I'm one of the so-called line officers here at Black River. Technically, I'm still just a sergeant. At least I was when I left the army. Lately, I've been getting more and more duties heaped on my plate. Like this one. Talking to a bunch of strangers on an unsecure line. It's gotta be the least of my concerns right now. Teal's men finally showed up. Just not the ones we were waiting on. Well, convoy never showed up. And after what just happened, I'm thinking... Might just be a good thing. The giant insect-like quadruped railed from Marcus's attacks. Marcus hammered into one of its legs with such force that nearby windows shattered. The creature spun counterclockwise, wobbling slightly. The attack had barely dented its armor-clad leg. It swatted at him, and there was no room or time to dodge. The blow connected. Marcus flew across the street and smashed into the door of an apartment complex, blowing it off its hinges. A couple of squatters, scared and annoyed by the intrusion, began to accost him. Hey, what are you doing? This is our place. Fuck off! Three giant fingers punched through the doorframe and part of the wall, grabbed one of the squatters, and crushed the other one's body against the wall in the process. The appendage retracted from the entryway, tossing the screaming bystander he splattered against the pavement. Marcus looked out the new opening back at the creature. It was winding up for a swing. Oh, fuck. He channeled as much speed and force as he could muster and ran in the opposite direction. A huge armored fist smashed through the building in a horizontal swing. The top floors on that side of the building started to collapse behind him. He repeated this process several times before Marcus had reached the end of the hall. Again, there wasn't enough time to turn right where the exit was, so he braced himself, focusing his energy on hardening his muscles and bones. Wu and three of his men in the up-armored Humvee slid across the grassy area between the park and the church, cutting across it to the side nearest the auto body shop. Leonard, the driver, immediately put the Humvee in reverse when he got a better look at what was on the other side of the building. Holy shit! Leonard said. A blast of debris shot out from the apartment complex as the quadruped's arm tore through it. Chunks of concrete slammed into the vehicle as they moved backwards. Wu called to the troop manning the turret. Do you see Marcus or Stevens? Wu asked. He cued his radio but got no response. Leonard flipped the vehicle around and got on the road behind the building. 
Marcus exploded through the brick wall right next to them, and the vehicle came to a screeching halt. Woo, get your people away from here, Marcus yelled. The onslaught stopped. Some of the creature's many eyes shifted to the Humvee. The top armor plates on its body slid aside, revealing an array of weapons. Four gleaming missile launchers extended to full length and immediately began to fire towards them. Cover your ears, Marcus said. He reached to one of the pouches on his bandolier, put it in one hand high over his head, then slapped it between both hands. A shockwave of metallic sand rippled through the air. The missiles cantered off target, exploding around them, damaging nearby buildings. The remnant manning the Humvee's 50 cal opened fire as they retreated. One of the creature's eyes ruptured, sending out a gush of red ichor. It let out an ear-piercing screech. Wu's radio blared to life with Marcus's voice. I need better weapons, something to throw, something better than rocks. Go north another 200 yards. There's a college campus they're building a new wing for. Wu began. The missile launchers on the creature folded down, and two massive rail cannons popped up behind them. Its first shot went into the windshield of the Humvee, nearly vaporized Leonard, and ripped the vehicle's driver's side door off. The Humvee lurched to one side, then rolled over in the parking lot of a fast food joint. The turret gunner bailed out at the last second just before she was crushed. The second turret fired at Marcus as he ran towards a construction zone a few blocks away. He fell onto the pavement, then crawled out of its field of view behind a flatbed truck. I was just finishing up my babysitting duties at the machine shop with Franklin when I heard the explosions and gunfire. My radio buzzed. Kaplan, meet me at the firehouse. Bring the control unit. You know the one. Harold said. Understood, I responded. I went over to the key locker, punched in the access code, then grabbed the credit card sized electronic board from it. Franklin was looking out the windows, flinching and half ducking with every noise from the outside. Hey, you ain't gonna just leave me in here, are you? Franklin said. I held up the control unit. Sorry, Frank. Big guy doesn't trust you yet. No offense. I don't either. I shut the door right behind me in his face, then secured it with a padlock. Come on, Kaplan. I know where you're going with that access card. I'm the best pilot here. Let me do this. Not this time. I'm sorry, Krause. It ain't up to me. I could hear Franklin banging on the door as I made off for the fire station. At least leave me a friggin' radio. Kaplan! Kaplan! Harold Baker and May were already at the fire station when I arrived. May and Baker pulled the blue tarp off the vehicle that took up most of the truck bay and revealed a tank. It looked beaten and weathered, but the twin 30mm rail cannons were functional. Probably the best thing that could be said about it. The vehicle had no treads or wheels. I started to hand the control unit to Harold, but he shook his head, which was now bandaged up on the right side and over his right eye as well. It's your baby, Cap. Besides, I'm not in any shape to be driving. Harold said, then called to May. Take control of the weapon systems. May climbed up the tank. The card in my hand started to glow. I pressed it against the body of the vehicle, and the main hatch slid apart from the tank, revealing four tilted back seats arranged in a V. Anti-grab coils are good to go. You won't hit any problems as long as you keep your elevation below 200 feet, Baker said to me. Any lower than she'd be a submarine. Whatever. I'll make it work, I said. Then, Baker, can you get a drone up by the auto body shop? I want an idea of just what the hell we're walking into. Baker reached into his cargo pocket on the left side and produced a collapsible drone, tossed it into the air. The blades unfolded and it hovered in place. I know you guys have questions. I'll tell you on the way. Marcus, Boo, and his men are in some deep shit. So let's get moving, Harold said. Me and Harold climbed into the tank, the hatch slid shut, and the holographic display lit up. I punched a control unit into the pilot seat terminal and the anti-gravity coils buzzed to life. 
The quadruped moved over in between the half-wrecked apartment complex and another building, smashing as it went. Its eyes darted everywhere, seeking after Marcus. When it could not find him, it started towards the overturned Humvee. Wu was still struggling to crawl out of the turret when it brought up one of its massive club fists. A five-foot rod of half-inch steel rebar pierced one of its joints, followed by a sonic wave. The missile launchers popped up again, and it was scanning for the source of the attack. Marcus bounded across the tops of the nearby buildings, leapt high into the air, and brought two pieces of rebar down on the creature's exposed weapons. It grabbed him with one arm and slammed him down on the asphalt, cracking it. With all four arms, it pounded Marcus repeatedly. It did not relent, strike after strike on his prone form. The nearby half-ruined apartment complex was leveled by the force. Suddenly, one of its arms came to an abrupt halt. Marcus's hand was just touching the knuckle. He stood up from the recently formed crater he was now in, still holding the appendage. It tried to move, but something was keeping it in place. Absorb and equalize. Redirect, Marcus said. Marcus unleashed the kinetic energy back on the monster's arm. Its entire arm was eviscerated and part of its body cracked open. A jet of blood sprayed into the air as the massive creature went face first into the ground and sent up a plume of dust in its wake. Marcus staggered forward. There was blood on his hands. His own. He looked down and noticed the gushing wound in his stomach. The weapons array on the creature's head stirred to life. A single missile launcher remained operational. The ports opened and it released another volley at him. He dodged one, but another exploded at his feet. The blast sent him scraping across the pavement laterally, and he banged his head off the mailbox where Stevens had been only minutes before. The now three-armed behemoth clamored to standing once more. A fountain of thick blood-red liquid poured out of the exposed wound on its body. All of its eyes were on Marcus. The sound of a cannon, a 30-millimeter slug ricocheted off the creature's plating on its body. I piloted the anti-grav tank sideways and strafed the monster as I dodged in and quickly out of its line of sight. It diverted from Marcus and opened fire on me with its own rail cannons, shooting through the buildings in the process. Marcus looked very pale, and he had a piece of shrapnel in his gut that wouldn't come loose. His hands fumbled as he hit the call button on his radio. Aim for the breach in his armor, Marcus said. I saw that, trying to line up a shot now, but it keeps turning away, May responded. Marcus gritted his teeth. He was covered in sweat, dirt, and blood. His cloak was completely shredded, and his bandolier was missing. Don't worry about that. I'll keep it busy. Just don't miss. Wait. Harold began. Marcus kicked the mailbox, and it sailed in the back of one of the creature's legs. It buckled slightly, and its last few shots went wide of their intended target. With all of his remaining strength, he charged at the same leg and shouldered into it as he did with the brick wall. There was an audible pop, like steel cables breaking, as the biomechanical tendon snapped. The monster struggled to maintain balance on two legs. My hover tank peeled out over the church parking lot, some ten feet in the air. Hit him with the sink, May! The twin cannons of the anti-grav tank glowed orange-white, then opened fire. Both rounds hit the cracked armor, followed by an explosion of liquid-hot metal and red mist. The giant slammed into the ground, breaking into several pieces. Its biomechanical innards spilled out onto the road in nearby grass. Nice shooting, Vic, I said. Hell yeah! Anyone hungry for space crab? Harold pointed at something that lay crumpled on the field in the adjacent park. May scrambled out of the tank hatch, followed quickly by Harold, and both of them ran to Marcus. Reassessing priority coverage area. Ontario Legislative Assembly. RCMP data cloud file 444118, Yankee 1989. 
beginning playback. Zachariah was leaning on the second floor balcony of the British Columbian-styled Legislative Assembly building. Daylight poured in at a slight angle through the stained glass windows above. An entourage of Royal Canadian Marine Corps approached him. One was holding a metal detector. They already checked me at the door, Sergeant, Zachariah said dismissively. I apologize for any inconvenience, sir, but I'm afraid it's standard operating procedure. Zach turned around half-heartedly and raised his arms to his side. One of the Marines patted him down for weapons. During his inspection, he pulled a sealed envelope from Zachariah's inside jacket pocket. It was marked top secret and had a clearance code stamped on it. What are you doing with this? This is a classified government file, said the Marine. I'm a government contractor. That file is what I'm here to discuss with the Prime Minister, Zachariah said. What kind of contractor? the Marine asked. Zachariah stared at the young man, his face expressionless. He reached out and slowly removed the file from the Marine's hand, then placed it back in his jacket. He's clear, Sergeant. Leave him be. Prime Minister Levescue walked past the guards and next to Zachariah. Sir, we haven't completed our... Levescue turned his head to them a quarter of an inch. The Marine shrank back to the stairwell landing. You can't keep dropping in whenever you feel like it, especially not here, said the Prime Minister. He gestured for Zachariah to follow him and led him into one of the assembly building's private offices and shut the door. I see things are bad enough with the tax protests that you finally had to come down here yourself, Zachariah said. Levesque rubbed his shaved head in frustration. He walked over to one of the swivel chairs behind a desk and plopped down. Just the usual hippie potheads waving their peace signs and blocking off traffic were handling it. Zack came up to the desk and tapped on it with one hand. Doesn't look that way to the intel community. Word is, there are FLQ sleeper cells plotting to take advantage of this situation. I wonder how these things spiraled so far out of control so quickly. You've only been in office for what, a month? Zachariah said. The Prime Minister leaned forward on his desk, fist balled. When all say no. Ah, so you've read my book, too, Zachariah said with a Cheshire cat grin. Zach produced the sealed envelope and tossed it on the desk between them. Here's some even better reading material. Tentatively, the Prime Minister took the item in one hand and tore it open. He glowered at Zach before reaching in and pulling out three printed photographs and a blue envelope. What is this? How... Have you ever seen those before and after makeover TV shows? I've never been a fan myself, but I do think this one could be a smash hit in the making. Zachariah said. Levesque's skin tone was shifting from bright red to pale white rapidly. It's not what it looks like. He overdosed on heroin at one of his parties. We didn't have him killed, the Prime Minister said. I'm sure that will be of great comfort to OPEC's top chairman. Hmm. That must be some impressive body double. You've got the media, Interpol, and even his own family convinced that he's still alive. Alive and dragging his family name through the mud. Right when oil prices are up by 30 bucks a drum. Just a random coincidence, I'm sure, Zachariah said. What is this about, damn it? demanded the Prime Minister. I didn't want to lead with the stick, but you are forcing my hand. We had an agreement. 
I help you get into office, and you sell me a bit of land. No questions. No bullshit. No pas de de cheval. Except now you've been in office for a month, ignoring my phone calls and messages all the while. So here we are, Andre. Here we are. Open the other one, the blue envelope. Open it! He did just that. A new offer. This is less than half the lithium you promised before, said the Prime Minister. What part of strict timetable do you not understand? Zechariah said. The Prime Minister shoved the items back in the envelope and set it on the desk. He stared at Zach. You expect me to sell you a National Wildlife Refuge? Parliament will fight me tooth and nail, and that's without even getting into the environmentalist groups, said the Prime Minister. Mr. Prime Minister, your country is in the middle of an economic meltdown. My company's lithium donation will put Canada back on the map. Your own little Silicon Valley, right here in the province. Think about it, said Zachariah. It will not be that simple. You have to know that, the Prime Minister responded. Then turn up the austerity measures, or find another way to convince them, Zachariah said. Zachariah walked calmly to the office door. Just before he exited the room, he said, What kind of legacy do you want? Herbert Hoover or Ronald Reagan? Recording end. Signal lost. Baker and myself carried Marcus into the emergency operating area on a tactical stretcher. Gently, we set him down on the table. Then I pulled one of the rods out of the slip-jointed fabric, and we pulled the stretcher out from under him, leaving him on the table. Dr. Karen and two nurses, all dressed in scrubs, went to work on Marcus immediately. The doctor and nurses had us leave the operating room and I went back out into the main hospital entrance. Nurse Shannon grabbed Harold. That's got to be stitched up right now, Shannon said. Harold was too exhausted to fight with her. He let himself be led into one of the smaller examination rooms. He had to brace himself on the walls as he walked. Lieutenant Wu was pacing back and forth in front of the open double doors just outside the hospital, gun in hand. How you holding up, Wu? I asked. Then I noticed the blood staining the entire left side of his shirt and pant leg. Lenny is gone. Alan broke both of her arms diving out of the turret before we rolled. Neil took some shrapnel, lost part of a finger. Given what has happened, I think I want to say nothing too bad. By this day's standards, anyways, Wu said. Then, that was a brave thing you did, Kaplan. I forgot how talented you were behind the helm of a grav tank. I liked it better when I was just teaching young punks on the flight simulator at the academy, I said. Up the roundabout driveway, a tan SUV with the remnant flag pulled around. Jackson had the window rolled down. There were at least four others in the vehicle with him. Hugo, I exclaimed. I started to walk up to the vehicle, but Wu stopped me. Did you bring the beer? Wu asked. The backseat window closest to me rolled down. A man clad in a mirror-like exosuit spoke. No, but we do have some damn fine whiskey. Oh, they are definitely going to kill us now. We just heard their super secret password. There was a sound of an armored fist hitting flesh. Whiskey and a couple of POWs, Knight said. Myself and the two nearby guards formed around the back of the SUV, 
and we opened the hatch. Two GPI soldiers were being held at railgun point. Both of them were face down with their arms tied behind their backs. Jackson and Teal's men exited the vehicle. I saw the fight near the chapel, so we swung wide around. Would have helped you guys out, but we had to deal with these two clowns, and, uh, I don't know, we could have been much help. What in the world was that thing, anyways? A UN mech? I don't think I've ever seen that model before, Jackson said. Will rubbed his eyes and exhaled. We don't yet know. It showed up and went right after Harold's grandson. I think we were just in its way, Wu said. What's the deal with the corporate mercs? Why didn't you just kill him? I asked. I'm the team lead for this spec ops unit, Lieutenant Major Benjamin Cantrell. Teal sent us out here to help JC with a smash and grab on a Clayton facility a few days ago. Wound up staying behind after. It's a uh, lot to get into right now. Jackson's sister-in-law got into some trouble with VT, and we were providing Overwatch. That's when I spotted this Joker. A bounty card. Knight said, slapping Dara on the back of his leg. You have a bounty on a GPI mercenary? Why? I asked. This piece of human trash was in New York City when the Farmers Union went on strike. My guess is Teal wants the juicy details, but that's just what I know. Could be something more to it. Either way, he lives, until TC says otherwise. And him, Wu asks, pointing to Eric. Now that guy, he's got some tech on him I have never seen before. Cutting-edge neural stuff. Probably better to just put a bullet in his head now, but... I don't know, something tells me he's worth more than the other guy, bounty or not. Dara hadn't moved an inch the entire conversation. I put my hand on his neck. This guy's barely got a pulse. He needs medical treatment like yesterday. I said. Not here. Look at him close, will you? The arms? See that? That's class 5 muscle density weave. He wakes up or spasms. He could rip your face off without even trying. You're going to have to sedate the shit out of him, or put him on a cyber operating table, Knight said. Put them both in the brig, separate cells. Put the big one in the augmented cell. I will send one of the doctors over with you. The brig isn't very far from here. And Major, you are responsible for them, understood? Said Wu. Cantrell nodded. His men fell out and started prepping the two prisoners for transport to the nearby brig. Harold leaned up against the brake patio outside the hospital. He rummaged around in the front pockets of his molly vest and found a pack of smokes. Jessica trudged through the snowy parking lot, her breath misting the air as she approached. She took out a long match from the supply box, then lit the wood stove at the patio center. He's going to be okay, Harold, Jessica said, breaking the silence. Harold nodded, more to himself than to her. He took out a battered Zippo lighter and flicked it several times. You're smoking again. You quit years ago, Jessica said. Harold gave up on the Zippo and instead lit the end of his palm oil in the wood stove. I've been awake for over 48 hours. In that span, I've nearly been killed at least three times that I know of. I figure that many brushes with death. I think I've earned some visitation rights on my own terms, Harold said, then took a long drag off his cigarette. 
Jessica put her arm around him and squeezed. Today sucked. You have another one? She asked. Harold shook the pack, releasing the last cigarette into her hand. She put the cigarette in her mouth, then snapped her fingers. A flame appeared on the end of her thumb. She lit it. Franklin Krauss dunked his toilet brush back in the murky water of the latrine again. He was determined to make this once terrible piece of stainless steel shine. Acid bath does wonders. Here comes the bleach, motherfucker, he said, pouring the chemical cocktail into the rancid device. A metallic banging sound came from outside the front door of the garage. Franklin stopped what he was doing, focused on the sound. More banging. He hustled over to the door, saying, I ain't done yet. This bathroom is still nastier than a Brooklyn taco dive. Then slid the tiny viewplate open. A few yards from the door, something caused a waver in the air, like heat waves off from the pavement. There was a dog-like silhouette outside. It became just visible for a second as its optic camouflage cycled. A jet-black Doberman mix with one cybernetic eye. The mostly transparent animal swept its gaze towards the garage. Franklin hunched below the window slot of the metal door. Shit, 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 what the fuck is that? He looked around inside the shop, panic setting in. A dull white corded phone was attached to the wall on the other side of the door. He reached up and ever so gently pulled it off the hook, pressing the receiver to his ear. Nothing. No dial tone. Outside there was more movement. The dog was either gone or its cloaking tech was tweaked better than it was a moment ago. There was a dead militia guard that had been stuffed under the patio of the nearby office trailer. It was the guard put there to watch him. Shit. The keys. Can't get them. Oh, no. All right. Chin and machine shop, Frankie. Think. Okay, 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 okay. Got plasma torches and art cutters in here. We gotta get out of here somehow. Warn everybody. Damn it. Why couldn't they leave me a fucking radio? You have been listening to The Fourth Tower, a cyberpunk-themed transmission from the possible future, sometime after now. If you'd like to support this podcast, please share it around wherever you do social media at. If you want to support the show, become a supporter on anchor.fm forward slash fourth tower. That's the number four, T-H-T-O-W-E-R. Or head over to the website, fourthtower.wordpress.com and hit the donate tab at the bottom of the page. Thank you.